Welcome, everybody. I, I just got to say, worship was awesome, guys. Really, really. So, I, I, Jake, Jake could have been the ballad singer for any heavy metal band, am I right? And he's volunteering his time to serve at Parkview, man. That was unbelievable. Volunteer. All right, anybody get lost this week and blame it on me? I just want to know. You're like, oh, he's preaching on it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it was you. Well, yeah, you lost. The car guys down there, they lost money this week because I told nobody to buy anything. So I'm getting texts from all the car guys this week. You're like, yeah, thanks a lot. It's been dead for three days. Sorry, okay? Don't buy nothing. Last week, I asked you to tweet your best stories to me about getting lost, and I'm going to keep doing this. Just do hashtag I was so lost. That's all you got to do. And we will find it, and we will share some of the best ones. Here's a couple of them. Uh, Lisa said, I took my out-of-town guests to the Sox game, couldn't find the car after searching in the heat for 90 minutes. Guests were not impressed. Yeah, I, I was, I, I, I could imagine that. Uh, here's another one. Uh, Lizzie, who's a friend of my daughter's, came to pick up my daughter, pulled up and was concerned when a strange man came out to get the mail. I was at the wrong house, okay? <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't me. It wasn't Becca. I want you to tweet those stories to me because I want to share them. I just think it's fun to be able to think about what, you know, what goes on in our lives together. Here's the problem, okay? It's easy to get, it's easy to get lost in the area of finances because we operate on finances out of assumptions, okay? It's out of these assumptions, right? We know how to do finances based on either our culture or what our parents taught us. Am I right? So, so here's the deal. Here's why I'm laughing. My daughter, and she'll be at the 11 o'clock service again. My daughter, Lauren, and, and by the way, the end of the service, we're going to commission Tommy and Lauren. Um, they can't be here because Tommy's leading worship at, at Lockport. He's been leading worship around here a little bit. We're commissioning them because they're going off to Ventura, California to work with the church plant that we helped to start uh, to do a leadership residency to learn how to do uh, church planting well. Tommy, and then they're going to move back here, and Lauren's going to work in social work and Tommy is going to uh, lead a campus that we plant or a, a church that we plant somewhere in Chicago. So they're going to go out and train with another church. We thought that would be good. We're going to commission them at the end. It's going to be on video. I'm just going to do it because they were here. Okay. But, but, but Lauren, a lot of you don't know Lauren and um, she has been just kind of hanging out in the kids program because she likes working with kids. So she's been in your four-year-old classroom teaching. And a lot of you didn't know that because her name's not Harlow anymore, right? It's Carreras. And so there's just Miss Lauren in there. And even a lot of the teachers didn't really put it all together. So she's been my little back in the four-year-old classroom. So she comes home with all these great stories. Like last week or two weeks ago, she was, in, uh, she was teaching the four-year-old class. And for some reason, they were doing the verse from Ephesians, how high and how wide and how deep is the love of, and she did it just like this, is the love of, and, and, and the answer is Christ. And, and nobody, you know, everybody did just that, you know. Uh, you know, just like you, you don't know the Bible either, neither do your four-year-olds, okay? So, so they just did that, you know, and, and she goes, Christ. And a little girl goes, Miss Lauren, we don't say that word. <laughs> and Lauren said, oh no, it's okay if we're talking to Jesus because that's his last name. His name is Jesus Christ. And the little girl blinked and said, we don't say that either. <laughs> okay. So I don't know which one of you has, uh, 
has a problem with someone using the Lord's name in vain in your house, and uh, you know you have a rule about it, but now I know, okay? The, 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 the problem is, as we're growing up, we have these assumptions of things that we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do. And, and the, the thing is that my generation was, were raised by people whose parents, like my grandparents, came through the Great Depression. Right? Or, or maybe your grandparents, the, my generation people, they came through World War II or whatever. They had this, this thing about money, this crazy thing about money that you didn't buy anything unless you had money for it. And so my parents were raised by people with that silly idea, so they raised me with that silly idea. If you would have gone to my four-year-old class when I was four years old, I would have said, debt, oh, we don't say that. Right? But then... My generation grew up and the banking industry became stupid and started loaning money for things. And we started all figuring out that we could buy things that we couldn't really afford. I mean, there's always been house mortgages, but there were never car payments ever before. Now they're normal. There were no credit cards, okay? And we've all learned how to spend more than we should, which helps us all find out one day we've ended up in the debt zone. Looks like somebody's been a busy little bee. I'm just finishing up balancing the checkbook. Mm. You know, I'm really proud of you. I think it's great that you've worked so hard on this. I'm so sorry that I thought you couldn't grasp our finances. Don't worry about it, dear. This has actually been good for me. You know, I think I'm finally starting to realize the importance of keeping a budget. Oh, that's swell. I can't tell you how relieved that makes me feel. So. How does our financial picture look? Well, our monthly income is $5,500, and our monthly expenses, $7,500. Hmm. That's not including the house payment or the telephone bill. Uh-huh. I guess I don't have to tell you what that means. No, I guess you don't. We can finally take that trip to Maui! <laughs> You're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but one of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the dead zone. And that is where we are, aren't we? You know what's amusing me as I'm thinking about that is how many people in this room have never ever seen the twilight zone. And I'm just really old, am I right? They don't even know what I'm talking about. 50% of the nation is now lost financially. That's what the experts tell us. 50%, either you know it or you don't, but 50% of us are lost. And most of us have had, I think, the experience where we woke up one April morning and looked at our W-2 form and our taxes that we were getting ready to send in and thought, where did all that money go? You know? How do I have this much money and this much debt? How come I'm feeling so much pressure? Do I have enough? Am I saving enough? Am I giving enough? Why is it at times that I feel like being generous and I know I'm going to be a generous and I make a commitment to be generous and then when it comes time to write the check, I just can't quite do it. I put the brakes on. Why is that? Well, the problem is, here's the, here's the deal. The only way to achieve your financial dream is to have a financial plan. We've all got financial dreams. That's all wonderful. We all have dreams. But you can't have a dream realized unless you have a plan. And the amazing thing about the Bible is the Scriptures are full 
of insight about how to handle our money, how to handle our resources. And that should be reason enough for us to spend four weeks talking about lost in the financial realm. It should be enough reason as it is. But I got to say something else, okay? Some of you are new. Some of you are, you know, you're new to the Jesus thing. Maybe you're just checking things out. That's awesome. We love that you're here. But here's what I want you to know. When you decide to follow Jesus, you, you don't just get to make him your savior. You have to make him your Lord, okay? You got to follow him all the way. And the problem is there are a lot of Christians that don't get discipleship. They don't get the fact that we're supposed to actually give our lives back to Jesus because he gave his life to us. See, what you don't get the chance to do, what you're not supposed to do, is go, okay, I want you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I'm going to you know, buy the CD. I'm going to do that. I get that. And by the way, would you please bless my family, bless my job, bless my finances, take care of everything. But stay out of, you know, certain areas of my heart. It just doesn't work that way. And I know there's something inside of you and me that wants to divorce the area of spirituality and financial stuff, but it doesn't work that way. Jesus said very plainly, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Now, now don't let that scare you because the path of Jesus leads to life. We've talked about this a lot. The road leads to life and the road, the other road leads to destruction. The debt zone leads to destruction. I could, I could set you up with a hundred people to go to our church that would tell you the road the other way, it's not good. I don't, I, you don't wake up in a good place there. So I gave you homework last week. If you weren't here, we've got more notebooks for you if you want to. What I did is I gave out these little notebooks and I said, what I want you to do is, is I want you to track your spending. I want you to track everything that you do this week. Just write it down. And I know some of you did it. I know some of you went home and argued with your spouse about it. I know some of you are now divorced and I'm sorry, okay? But here's the deal. The only way to get unlost is to know where you're going, Right? The only way to get unlost is to know where you're going. If you're going over to somebody's house, the first thing they're going to ask you is, where are you now? So if you want to get unlost in any area of your life, the first thing you have to do is figure out where you're at right now. That's what you've got to know. You've got to discover it. So, so do this again. Do it again. If you didn't do it last week, start it now. Okay, start logging in everything that you spend. Because waking up on April 14th and going, how did all this money get out of here is not a good idea. You need to figure out where that it's going to go. And the only way to figure that out is to track it, right? So take the little notebook and go do it. Some of you took it. Some of you left them here because they're laying on the chairs. I understand. Some of you made a Walmart list. I saw that. That's not what I meant, okay? I want you to track this. This is really important if you're going to get unlost. Now, some of you are more high-tech. You're like, I ain't writing something down in a notebook. Okay, we have resources for you. Go to parkviewchurch.com lost. That simple. Okay, go on there and we have resources for you. There's one, for example, you'll remember this, mint.com. Like the, you know, place where they make money, mint.com. You can go there. It's a free site where you can track everything on your computer. There are apps for you that you can use on your phone and you can keep track of it. My kids, I'm so thankful. You know, I got one kid that works for Dave Ramsey and, and Tommy and Lauren are also very, already very financially responsible. I so wish that I would have been in the place where they were back when I was their age and I got a, got a hold of it early. You need to be able to do that. Track it, okay? And by the way, speaking of Dave Ramsey, Financial Peace University, um, the first class filled up by noon on Monday. I'm really happy about that. I'm happy about that because we're offering a second class now. 
Okay, so if you didn't get into the first class in Orland, we're doing another class, and the preview night is tomorrow night. The same night the first class starts is a preview night for the next session that's going to start the next Monday. Everybody needs to go through this course. You, I promise you it's the road that leads to life. If you're at Lockport, there's still room for you in the Tuesday night group at Lockport. I, I want you to understand how to manage this. I hope that that's happening for you. I've heard so many stories of people that have gone through the, the course. A great one this week. A girl emailed me. You know, we did a Britney kind of remake last week. And uh, she said, oh, i got another Britney remake for you to do. It's probably too late, but it'd be a great one. She said, this is one that I do when I'm getting ready to go to the store. She said, there's that Britney Will I Am song, you know, where they go, we say in, oh, we, oh, we, oh, we, oh. You know that song? It's a, it's a deep, deep, deep song. And, um, <laughs> and, and, and. And she said, well, after taking the Dave Ramsey course, what I would do is every time I would get ready to go to the store, I would play that song in my car, but I would sing it, oh, I, oh, I, oh, I, oh, you are now, now rocking with Dave Ramsey and Timothy. I was just gauging how many of you actually knew what the rest of that song was, okay? 62% of Americans say the number one problem in life is finances, 62%. 56% of divorces happen because of finances. This is why Jesus talked about finances more than any other subject except the kingdom of God. 15%, more than a tithe, is what Jesus talked about finances. 42% of the parables, I'm going to take you through one today in Luke chapter 16. It's amazing what Jesus has talked about. And maybe you're new to the Jesus thing. Again, this is all cool. And you're like, wait a minute, what could Jesus tell me about money? He was homeless, right? Yes. And the reason is not because Jesus cared ever about money. The reason is not that I care about your money. The reason is because He cares about your heart. And because your money, your treasure, is, 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 a, is a way to look into what's going on in your heart. Let me just say, I'm driving down the road one day, and my car breaks down along the side of the road. Okay, what am I going to do? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy a new one. Thank you, car guy. Yes. Okay. Wow, I opened that one up, didn't I? Thank you, Mike. Do you want to go ahead and put your website up here while you're at it? No, I'm not going to buy a new one. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do like every other red-blooded American male. I'm going to open up the hood, even though I have no idea what's underneath there. I couldn't fix a car if my life depended on it. I'm going to open the hood, and if it's dark outside, what am I going to do? I'm going to shine a light in there, right? And how am I going to do that? The same way you do. I'm going to pull out my flashlight app on my iPhone. Poor flashlight companies, I don't know what they do anymore, right? And I'm going to be, and I'm going to shine it in there as if I would know anything. But if I did know something about cars, I would shine the flashlight in to try to see what was going on on the inside of the hood, right? Okay, this is what Jesus is talking about. Somebody that knows something about cars needs a light to illuminate what's going on. And, and your treasure, your checkbook, your financial situation is a, is a light that shines inside of you and sees what's really going on in your heart. So people were amazed at Jesus' teaching all the time. They were really amazed at His teaching about money. Jesus one time, they were griping about taxes like we all do, right? And Jesus said, hey, give me a coin. Let me see it. Whose face is on here? Caesar's. Okay, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God's what is God. Give to God what is God's, and it says, and they were amazed at him. They were amazed at his teaching about money. And I think I think you will be too, and I am too. And I, I don't want to give it to you because it's the best thing that I could give you. 
next to salvation, is to be able to get a hold of the trust and the faith that happens with our stewardship. So let me tell you a story. I'll tell it my way first. We call this guy Joe. Okay? Joe uh, was a bootstraps kind of guy. He was a, you know, put, pick himself up, self-made American guy. He was not born with a silver spoon, but he was determined to silver plate the spoon. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he really had drive. He had ambition. He was the guy you wanted on your team, whatever was going on, because if he was on the other team, he was going to crush you. One way or another, he was going to figure out how to do it. Went to college on a sports scholarship and then took business classes and went into business because he wanted to make money. Not so much because he wanted all the perks. He liked all the perks. Not so much because he was greedy, but because he wanted to succeed. And for whatever reason, he always wanted to provide more and more and more for his family. So eventually, he decided to start his own business like a lot of you have. And he started his own business and things went really good because he did what? He spent 14-hour days. You guys know what this is like if you started your own business. 14-hour days, preoccupied with what was going on. He missed a lot of recitals. He missed a lot of games. There was a lot of stuff that didn't happen in his life. And he was a Christian, okay? But, but you know, he was more interested in checking the market than he was, you know, really the word. Eventually, they had everything they possibly needed, Vacation home, nice cars, college all paid for, retirement stocked up. And then he decided to take his company public. And the day he took his company public was the best day of his life because it just went through the roof immediately. People bought in and, and he made a killing. He called his wife and he said, this is it. This is everything we've ever dreamed of and hoped for. We could retire right now if we wanted to. Let's go out tonight and celebrate. They got reservations at the best restaurant in town, bottled Dom Perignon, chilling, waiting for them. Unfortunately, he celebrated a little bit too much with the guys at the office. And on his way to the restaurant, he blew a stop sign and got hit by a garbage truck and died instantly. I, 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 I would love to be there, would love to have been there. And I say this very purposefully. I would love to have been in heaven because this is not about going to heaven. Jesus is about going to heaven. But I would have loved to have been in heaven when Joe, this self-made millionaire, showed up in heaven and finally realized what was really, really important in life. I mean, there are no regrets in heaven. Probably isn't going to matter, but I would have loved to have been there. Jesus told it this way. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now this is kind of funny because Jesus is talking about something completely unrelated to this in Luke chapter 12. He's talking about something and somebody just goes, Hey, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. And it obviously doesn't make Jesus very happy because he goes on and he says, Man, who appointed me judge or arbiter between you? Now I don't know if you've never noticed, but Jesus usually addresses people as like brother, you know, or my children. I think this is the only time in, in the teachings of the gospel where Jesus ever goes, man. I mean, he's kind of annoyed, you know, man, I don't know. And then he said to them, well, I guess while we're switching subjects here, you know, car guy, while we're switching subjects here, <laughs> he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. And then he told them this story. You know, it's pretty funny. Now watch out, because greed is going to get you. And then he told them the story of Job. He told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, 
You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your very life will be demanded from you. And this is, and then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Then who's going to get it? And this is how it will be, God says, Jesus says, with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. Hmm. Now, I don't think Jesus is against saving. I mean, you should say there's a lot of stuff in the Bible about saving. We have this problem in our country called social security, and it's not going to be there when you get old. So if you think me and the homies are taking care of you later, you probably ought to think again. I think, I mean, the Bible very clearly says a wise man saves for the future. Jesus is not contradicting himself. USA Today says 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Jesus is not against that, okay? He's not contradicting Scripture. He's saying, listen, this is about perspective. Okay, this is about perspective in your life. Joe's problem is about perspective. Joe's problem is that he thinks he's in control. Let me read you this passage again and just notice all the times he talks about himself. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones in there. I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things. Take life easy. You see what that's about? That's about his perspective. He's like a four-year-old kid in one of Lauren's classrooms, right? This is mine, 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 mine. They wrote down, some kids wrote down some prayers to God, and I thought this one was really appropriate. Dear God, if you give me a genie like Aladdin, I will give you anything you want except my money or my chess set. That's this guy, right? That's Joe. God, you know, take care of me because uh, I'll give you anything you want except for my money because I want more money. That's, see, that, that's where our heart problem starts in the beginning. Here's what, um, his perspective is wrong in several areas, okay? His perspective is wrong in several areas and you need to understand this. The first one is storage. Storage. He says, I'm going to store up for myself. What does the Bible say about storage? The Bible says this. This was the richest man who probably ever lived, Solomon, who said, um, you know what, naked you come from your mother's womb, and as you come, you're departing. You're going to take nothing. You're going to take nothing from your labor that you can carry in your hand. Jesus said in the parable, God said to the guy, you fool, who's going to get your stuff now? His perspective was wrong about storage. Do you realize that we have, we probably have, people that own storage units in here too. I'm sorry, I'm just going to say this. Get the car guy off my back and jump over to storage. <laughs> 1.3 billion square feet of rentable storage in the United States of America. 1.3 billion. Do you know what I want to do? This is my idea. I want to start a heavenly storage center just put stuff out there on the parking lot with you know garage doors that you can open up and put your junk and then doors in the back that you don't know about where I open it up and I give all your junk away to people that could really use it. Would that be okay? I mean, I've got it, man. I, I've got it too. You got it. I mean, really, this is about storage. Who is in charge? Who, who is really, how much stuff do you need? How much stuff do you need stored up? So I told you we're going to be doing some testimonies. I, I want to introduce you to David and Joanne. They're going to come. Would you welcome, out, welcome them out? They're going to give you a little story on their own.
Hi, everyone. Um, my name is David Alo, and um, we were asked to share our story with y'all. Not to brag, because it's all God's money anyway, and our church thought it would encourage you in this area. My wife, Joanne, and I started sponsoring 10 children 10 years ago in some of the poorest parts of the world, like Kenya and Haiti and Ethiopia. And uh, God was so blessing my company that I was convicted through Scripture that he did not want us to use it for ourselves or to store up or to spend luxuriously. And uh, it was God's money, and I knew that. I knew what he wanted to do with it. And within two years, we were sponsoring 58 children. And... uh, I love these kids. Praise God. Praise God. I love these kids. I read all their letters. I respond to them. I pray for them daily. And I I also share in their hardships and their joys. I, unlike my husband, uh, found it very difficult to believe that this was money well spent. Um, In fact, at one point, I was pressing David so hard Um, that we pulled out of all our sponsorships. But in less than a week, praise the Lord, we were both convicted. Um, uh, I heard Luke 12, 48, where Jesus says, For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. That was a scary moment for me. Uh, That's when David called and reinstated our support. Then, this past February, when David returned from Kenya, God gave us a renewed perspective of these children. Um, David was overwhelmed by the number of sponsored kids that had been rescued from the slums. And he told the story of how so many of the kids were sad, having never received a letter from their sponsor. And that broke my heart. Um, These were people not pictures. Um, When we had received word that another child that we had been sponsoring graduated, this girl Miriam stated that she had been praying for us over the past 10 years, and she thanked us for our prayers and our love. Um, We were both driven then to see more kids rescued, so we uh, took on 14 more kids through CMF, which brings us to 60 children today. (laughs) Praise God. Every time we receive a letter from them, we respond immediately and we tell them about ourselves, but more importantly, we get to tell them about Jesus. Um, Giving has always been a battle for me. But the story that God used to seal the deal is in the book of John, chapter 12, where Mary comes to Jesus and anoints his feet with expensive oil. And she wipes his feet with her hair And then Judas starts complaining, drip, 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 um, complaining that uh, she's wasting money that could have been used for the poor. But we read next that Judas really didn't care about the poor. He was a thief and actually stealing money from the money box. And I knew that was me. I was always rationalizing how this was a waste of money. In my head, saying things like, how do we even know these kids even get this money? How do we even know their stories are even true? We should just reevaluate and find a worthier cause close to home. 
when all I really wanted was to see that money in my money box. But we knew it was God's money, and we just wanted to follow his leading in how to use it. And we knew it was to be a tool to help and rescue these children. Thank you. Well, there's a word of warning. Um, they didn't tell you all the rest of the story. There's a word of warning. When you start modeling that behavior and you, and you become that kind of a parent, your kids get a hold of it. And uh, they have one grandkid who lives in Rwanda because their kids are in Rwanda working with International Justice Mission. And it's hard to see your grandkid when they live in another country. I'm pretty sure I'm going to figure that out at some point myself. But... but isn't that the point, right? I mean, aren't those the kids that you want? Isn't that how you really want things to happen? I mean, ultimately, what I'm saying about storage is that every time you see a Salvation Army kettle, you're seeing a, a heavenly storage unit. Every time you see a Goodwill box, you're seeing a, a, a heavenly storage unit. Every time you, you give, you're seeing a heavenly storage unit. Paul tells Timothy, it's very important to me, I, I love the book of Timothy because my name's Timothy. Paul says, command them, so this is what I'm doing to you, I'm commanding you to be good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, what's going to happen? You are going to lay up treasure for yourself as a firm foundation for the coming age so that you may, not, you may take hold of the life that is truly life. The road... The narrow road leads to life. Remember, Jesus said that. That's what it is. And you know that. You ask Dave and Joanne, they'll tell you what life really is. You can store it up here, or you can send it on ahead. Now, I don't know exactly what this whole thing means. I don't understand exactly what, what sending money on ahead means. You know, I mean, I don't know if that means you're going to have a cheaper, crummier place in heaven than somebody who, if you're stingy, than if somebody who's generous, you know. I don't know if you're going to get there, and you're going to be like, wow, this is, heaven's really cool, but I sure wish I had indoor plumbing, you know. I don't know. I don't. I mean, I don't know if you're going to be like, hey, Tim, can I come over to your house to watch the Bears game? Because I don't have a TV. I hope that's what happens. I really do. But I don't know if that's the way it is. What is this treasure going to be like in heaven that we're going to be given in heaven? I mean, you know, this is the way we feel about it sometimes. I think we think, okay, well, if I give this, uh, this laptop to this missionary so that they can use it on the mission field, then I'm doing that. And then when I get to heaven someday, I'll have a golden MacBook Pro. Because there's no rebooting in heaven, you know? It'll be a Mac. You understand this, right? And it'll be golden, right? Is that what's going to happen? Or, or is it, just think about this maybe, is it that our treasure in heaven is what is really treasure? I mean, what really is treasure in the end? What is really treasure for you? It's the people that you care about. What is really treasure to God? It's the people that He cares about. It's the people that His Son died for. And if that laptop gets people into heaven, that's what your storage perspective ought to be. His perspective is also wrong about security because he says, I'm going to take care of myself, right? I mean, I think those of us who lost a few bucks in the you know, debacle of the, of the last few years in the, in the market and everything that's gone on, I think those of us would say, you know what? I don't think I'm in charge of things. I don't think there is any real security. Paul also told Timothy, command those who are rich in the present world, not, and that's all of us, by the way, if you're at the poverty level in the U.S., you're more rich than 95% of the people in the world. Okay. Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Put your hope there. That's what's, that's what's certain. Riches are uncertain. 
Riches are very uncertain. Solomon, the rich guy again, what does he say? Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off like an eagle. They'll fly like an eagle, right? That's what's going to happen, and you know this, right? It's going to go. If you think you can take, and here's my problem. If you want to take care of yourself, that's fine, all right? If you want to, you know, store it up, and if you think you can take care of everything, then fine, live that way. That's all good. But just please don't do this to me. Please don't say, well, I'm going to store up for myself, and I'm going to take care of myself in case there's a rainy day. And then when there's a rainy day, don't call me up and go, hey, could you have the church pray for me because I'm having a rainy day? Because I'm just going to say, no, I'm not praying for you. You were taking care of yourself. Why would I pray for you? I mean, God, God probably will because God's a lot nicer than I am, but I ain't doing it. It's not happening. I'm just telling you. His perspective was wrong about storage. It was wrong about security. It was wrong about satisfaction. Another thing he says is, I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. You know, is that true? Do you know really, really rich people that are really, really happy? I mean, really? I mean, think about the lottery winners. You know the stats on the lottery winners and how much it messes up their life? This guy was already rich. How rich did he need to be? Think about it. He already has more than he possibly needs. How much more is it going to take? Really? What, what's going to happen? Newsweek did a survey and they asked people, how much money would it take for you to be happy? People that made $25,000 a year said if they had $54,000 a year, they would be really, really happy. People that made $100,000 a year said if they had $192,000 a year, they would be really, really happy. I mean, they just averaged everything out. But basically what they found was everybody thought if I just have twice as much, I'm going to be happy. But again, Solomon said, you are never going to be satisfied if you long to be rich. That's just the truth. If that's all it's about, just about being rich, then you're never going to be happy. You're never going to be satisfied. Really, basically, this is the only thing you need right here. I'm going to get one for everybody. (laughs) That's your door prize on the way out. That's all you need. Shelter and your basic necessities right there, right? John Ortberg said there's a great two-word question that all of us ought to ask and we never do. And the question is, then what? Oh, when I get to this point in my life, then what? You know, when I get to retire, really, then what? Oh, if I could just have a cool car like that, really, then what? Oh, if I could just move into a bigger house, well, then what? If I could just go on a cruise, well, then what? I mean, it's always about then what? This is the difference, all right? This is God's perspective. This is God's perspective. And, and, And please, this is not about being rich. This is not about how much you have. It's about your perspective on it. God said to this guy, hey, you know, you're gonna tear down your barns and build bigger barns? Here's what's gonna happen, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded of you And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Because you're not going to be here. And Jesus concludes the story by saying, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Again, the problem with the man in the parable is not his riches. The problem is not his earthly bank account. It's his heavenly bank account. Because success is failure if you succeed at the wrong thing. I showed the picture of the guy who shot the wrong target in the Olympics last week. It's failure if you're shooting at the wrong thing. So in light of eternity, the question is, what should you be doing? How should you be living? What should you do with your possessions? And and listen, most of us would go, oh, well, this guy was rich. He had extra. That's not me. That's not how it is. You ever play that game, right? Somebody wins the lottery and you say, yeah, if I won the lottery, I'd give half of it away. It's very easy to be generous in our minds with other people's money. 
But again, if, if you're at the poverty level in the U.S., you're richer than most of the people I ever meet when I'm out on a mission trip, by far, 95%. It's a test for you. That's what your money is. And that's why the Bible encourages percentage giving. That's exactly why it's there. So that it's not about a number. It's about setting aside a number and figuring out what that is. In the Old Testament, it was a tithe. I think in the New Testament, 10%. In the New Testament, I think that was the minimum of what these people do. But your perspective is what's really important, not the amount. For some, 10% is just the beginning. No, we have plenty. We should be giving a lot more. For some of you, you're just like, man, I'm new to this, whatever. I just encourage you to invite God into your finances, into the discipleship of your life. These are the three questions we keep asking. Let me do it every week with the perspective of what we're doing on perspective. How about that? Uh, the, first one, the first one is, what is your perspective on finances? Okay, uh, Where are you right now? That's our first question. Where are you on your finances? The second question is, where, what is it that God is leading you to do with your finances? Where are you? What is God leading you to do? That's our second question. And the third question is, what's the most important thing to you in the area of your finances? Those are our discipleship questions we're going to keep asking you over and over and over again. And here's, here's what's really, really interesting about this, okay? So it's really, really interesting. This guy did end up giving everything away. But it wasn't because he was generous. It was because he was dead. I want you to be intentional about your plan for after your life is over. I am. My wife and I have a trust. We have part view worked into that trust. We happen to have a, uh, a class here on September 7th, a free uh, way for you to fill out a will or a trust. We do this. We've had hundreds of people from Parkview go through this, and that's going to be coming up. And I'd encourage you to do it because I know, I know everything's taken care of. Because guess what? If you don't have intentional planning into what's going to happen, who's going to get your money? Your kids aren't. The government's going to. Okay, I just want to tell you that. If you're okay with that, that's fine. But if you're not, you need to make a plan. Because someday you are going to die and everything's going to go to somebody else. But honestly, think about this. How much trust or faith does it take for you to give everything away when you're not here? How much are you teaching your kids about the value of money if you wait until then to be generous? One of my favorite stories when it comes to talking about this is a, a story that could have been tragic. came out of uh, Boston, Massachusetts, a commuter flight, small commuter flight that, that went from one location in Massachusetts to another location in Massachusetts. And when they got up on this commuter flight, uh, there, was a, there was a pilot and a co-pilot, and pilot Henry Dempsey heard a strange noise coming from the back of the plane. So he decided to go back to the back of the plane and figure out what it was. So he turned it over to the co-pilot, and he went back to the back to evaluate what the problem with the plane was when he got to the back just happened to hit an air pocket at the moment he discovered what the source of the noise was which was that the back door had not been closed properly and it threw him up against this is a true story threw him up against the door and sucked him out of the plane immediately now would have been tragic except somehow he pulled a James Bond move and and as he was being sucked out of the plane, grabbed the hold of the ladder that was on the outside of the plane as he was, you know, being blown out. Now, the co-pilot doesn't know this at all. 
And, and so he's radioing back, you know, he sees the light on, the door's open, he knows what's happened. He's like, you know, I think my co-pilot just got sucked out of the plane. Please send a search party to go look for him or his body for whatever could be left at this point. And, and I needed an emergency landing. He makes an emergency landing <laughs> and emergency personnel found Henry Dempsey still clamped onto the ladder. He survived. He was fine. He had grabbed the ladder. He was flying at 4,000 feet, 200 miles an hour. He had grabbed the ladder and held on. And somehow, they said his head could have only been 12 inches off the ground as this small little plane was landing. Somehow held his head off. Obviously, he had some road rash, but he held himself up and he survived. And you're like, how does this have anything to do with what we're talking about? Here's the, here's the, according to the news reports, it took airport personnel several minutes to pry Henry Dempsey's fingers off the ladder. As he was holding on for dear life. I think the reason that Jesus teaches us about this stuff is because he knows if we're, if we're holding on that tightly that he has to come in and teach 15% of the stuff he teaches about money. It's because we're holding on so tight. And if we're holding on so tight to that, our can't, hands can't be open to the blessings that God wants to give us. And there's a faith problem and there's a heart problem. So we're going to have communion. Um, we offer it to anybody who uh, is a believer. You don't have to be from Parkview. Going to pass the trays across. There's bread in the bottom cup, juice in the top cup. Take them both out and hold them for a moment and we're all going to commune together. So what I want you to understand. What, it, what we're getting ready to give you is the only thing you really need. It's the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. That's the only thing you need. The body and the blood of Jesus, that, that is all. You don't even need the porta potty chair. That is all you need is Jesus. And if you have Jesus, then you need to follow him. And if you follow him, it's the road to lead, that leads to life. It's the life that is truly life. Let's spend a moment and let's pray. God, I thank you for, um, I thank you for this because... <laughs> I teach on biblical stewardship every year because if you spent 15% of your time doing it, I had to spend a few weeks. And, um, and also because I always need to do it myself. I am blessed beyond measure. And, uh, and I need to continue to understand how to give and how to, to be faithful with your finances and how to pry my fingers off of the things that you've already blessed us with. It's all yours. And as I take communion right now, I, I made a crack about Jesus, you being homeless, but that's the truth. You didn't need anything. You didn't even have a place to lay your head. But you came and gave everything to us, and you were the example. So as we accept this gift today, be with us and bless us. We ask for that. And help us to understand your heart. Help it not to be about our heart being better. Help it to be about us getting your heart because that's what a true disciple really is and be with us in jesus name amen jesus concludes this passage by saying so sell what you have and give to those in need and this will store up treasures for you in heaven and the purses of heaven have no holes in them and your treasure will be safe no thief can steal no moth can destroy it wherever your treasure is or your hearts and your thoughts will be also as we take up the offering I just want to remind you that it ought to not be about how much can I keep it ought to be about how much can I send ahead it's not about how can I build my kingdom it's how can I build your kingdom 
maybe the better thing to leave your kids is not a pile of money. Maybe it's the example of a generous heart so that you can figure out how to help them. I mean, we're going to have the opportunity to, to give and I, no pressure on you if you're new. I don't, I, don't, I don't want it to be that way, but we're going to worship by doing this. That's what they always did in the Bible. It was a, it was a thanksgiving thing. It's a giving back. The Bible talks about give, bringing the tithe back to the storehouse. And I want to encourage you to think about that, whatever that is for you. I want to encourage you to do it online. If the basket goes by and nobody puts anything in, they may be giving online. You can give from your app. You can give a lot of different ways. But And maybe you're upside down in your finances. I would just encourage you to invite God in somehow. And you're saying, well, why do we do an offering every week? Well, it's because in the New Testament... Paul said on the first day of the week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. It's percentage giving. That's what it ought to be. And then live on the rest. And that priority will break the power of greed in your life. So we're going to worship again like we did last week and, and pass the offering together. And then we'll close out on prayer on video so you can see Tommy and Lauren. God, I pray for you for your blessing on us right now as we give back to you. Uh, whether we've been doing it for a long time or whether uh, this is a new thing for us, would you show up like you promised you would in people's lives in amazing ways and let them be able to start with 10 kids and then someday have 60 kids that they sponsor and maybe someday 600 and help us to be able to change the world because that's why you gave us this stuff. Help us to store up for ourselves and treasures in heaven. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen to commission our people before they head out to go on missions trips and uh, we want to we want to be able to do that and to bless them uh, before they go so this is my daughter lauren and her husband tommy you've seen tommy leading worship around here they're headed out to california for a year to do a residency with the church we planted in ventura california to kind of help understand church planting and then to come back can i get an amen from the in-laws and to come back because nobody wants to live in California and to come back to Chicago to help us plant churches because we're getting ready with all the area churches to plant a bunch of churches in Chicago because we believe in that. So what I'd like to ask you to do, if you don't mind, is to stand up and do the, do the blessing thing that we do. You're all priests. It's the priesthood of all believers. So I would like for you, uh, this is especially dear to me because of who they are, uh, please pray with me as we commission Tommy and Lauren as they get ready to go off uh, to their mission field in California. God, I just pray so much for Tommy and Lauren. I'm so uh, amazed at how all this has come around in the last few months as you've just figured out um, what they need and what they should be doing. I'm so proud of Tommy and, and just the, the gifts that you've given him and the abilities. And I pray for him as he leads at Lockport tomorrow and, and, and as he uh, figures out how to do this, this thing even more so that he can come back and help us plant churches. Um, pray for Lauren, Lord. She has got so many gifts. Um, she is so much like her mother. I just pray that you will uh, be with her and bless her as she figures out what you have for her. And as they go together, Lord, that you'll just be with them and give them your grace. And help them to know that you're with them all the way. And be with us as we miss them as they're far away. Uh, but Lord, we know that they're in your hands and we ask a blessing on them. May they go from Parkview as our ambassadors to the church in Ventura. And, um, and, and may they be blessed and, uh, and be with their future, whatever it is. And, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you. And give you peace. Don't touch me. <laughs>
May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forever. Amen. Get out of here.